Welcome to Subcutaneous, Episode 1, Financing Your Future, where we will talk about money in medical school and residency. I'm David Phillips. And I'm Lindsay Goddard. We are your hosts. (laughs) Today, we're kind of visiting a fun and relevant topic. Well, I guess fun depends on how you define that, right? Yeah. Uh, fun for me. Yeah. Fun for fun for the business majors in here, but uh, also very relevant. And this is kind of geared towards people who are thinking about getting into medicine, you know, or, or who are in it school. Yeah, in yeah. medical school. Residency. And we want to talk a lot about um, how to save money in med school, residency, how to kind of invest while you're in residency and everything like that. And Lindsay yeah. has. It's never you know, too late. Yeah. It's never too late to invest, and Lindsay has some insight into this. So it's like, do you yeah. want to kind of get into your personal story and tell us a bit about how you did things? or Yeah, and I will say this is a, one of my interests and things that I personally find fun, but many people do not find fun and kind of have been teased for my extensive spreadsheets and willingness to budget, but I think it served me very well and will continue to serve me well but there's also not just one way to do things and so my story is just how I did it there's plenty of other ways to do it and this is not we are not CPAs yeah we're by no means financial experts here yes Uh, I mean you went you didn't go quite as far as to get your CPA but uh yeah but more just my story and what I did and ideas that might help you This is kind of a taboo subject. It's not really talked about a lot, or people seem a bit shy about this, but how much debt did you come out of your training with? So at the end of residency and fellowship, when I started my first job, I was at 125K in debt, student loan debt. Student loan debt. And you saved a lot of money in your residency and even starting at your undergrad. Can you tell us about, uh, you know, how, how did you save money in your undergrad? Yeah, so I went to my state school, which is a first part of savings. Our tuition was lower. I went to a school where I had nearly a full ride and then applied for all the scholarships that I could to get me through undergrad. I was very fortunate in that I had family who helped me with undergrad. I wouldn't say that I come from a very wealthy family, but I did have family, my parents, who were able to help cover the tuition that was not covered with uh, scholarships. And they also paid for my housing. But any fun money that I had, so shopping, eating out, those types of things, was on my own. And so I worked every summer and saved up money in the summers, and I also worked during my junior and senior year of college. Okay, so your your story may not be applicable to all, because we're not all going to be able to kind of gig out of undergrad with no debt. But this is also not so much about your undergrad. I mean, there's plenty of people out there getting scholarships and things, too. So when you went to medical school, you had pretty much a clean slate. Yep. And No uh, No debt. And that's great. And so when you went there, did you kind of have an idea that, okay, I was going to, you're going to work really hard to keep your debt load down because 
you know, a lot of people come out of this process and they're, you know, they find themselves, you know, graduated and, you know, through their fellowships mm-hmm. and everything like that or, you know, their residency and they're like overwhelmed by the amount of debt. Right. So was this just kind of the way you naturally were? Yeah. Or was this a lesson that somebody had told you about at the time and you were like, I really need to work hard to kind of minimize what I'm going to carry after this? I grew up with a very frugal family that didn't believe in debt, except house debt, which is why my family helped me through undergrad. They didn't want me to have undergrad debt. And so I kind of was debt averse from the get-go, from how I was raised. And my dad was even apprehensive about me going into medicine, mostly because of the cost of it. So a little bit of my being raised that way and then some external factors of people just couldn't fathom how much it costs actually to go to medical school Mm -hmm. and how long it may take to pay that money back. And roughly how much were you looking at like a semester to uh, attend? At my state school, and I went to med school in 2011, it was around $25,000 a year. For tuition only. It doesn't include room and board, books, interviews, all of those other things that cost money during your training. Okay. And so you kind of looked at that and you were like, okay, well, you know, where can I reduce here? And one of the ways you were able to reduce that burden is scholarships, right? Yeah. So my sophomore year or second year of med school, I realized that some people in my class had gotten scholarships and I had never really known about them, didn't even think scholarships were available for medical students at all. And that year I did a dive into how to apply for them and looked for some online as well and was able to get scholarships both my third and fourth year of med school to help lighten that loan burden. What sort of scholarships were you able to get? They're funded by sponsors who provide money to my university and they somehow pick a recipient but was this like writing you know writing essays or was it just just applying i just applied really as easy as that okay and you know i'm sure was picked based on maybe some of my involvement and my scores i had a good gpa and i was fairly fairly involved in the college at well as well okay and do you like was this like are we talking about like one or two larger scholarships or a bunch of little ones that kind of added up or you know give us a rough idea did somebody give you ten thousand dollars for a year I or say, i don't remember the exact numbers i want to say one was around ten thousand dollars the other might have been a little less than that five to eight thousand dollars Mm-hmm. And that was so one year I got five to eight thousand dollars. The other year I got around ten thousand dollars. Okay, but so. when tuition's twenty five thousand, it's a fair fair chunk there. Yeah. So that shaved off a few years and everything like that. And you also did other things. You worked through mm-hmm. your residency, right? Med school. I worked my first year of medical school, and I kept the same job that I had my senior year of college which was working in a lab in the pharmacy school actually at the university of oklahoma so it was on the same campus as our medical school campus and i thought it'd be a good way to 
make some extra money, decrease my loan burden, and stay involved in medical research. However, I think in hindsight, I don't know if I would recommend working during med school as a blanket statement for people. Yeah, who would you recommend it for? Or who would you say maybe should not consider this? I think med school is hard enough. You're busy. You need to be spending your extra hours studying unless you're just very, very smart and don't and have some extra time to kill. You could work then. But I think especially if you want to do something competitive like dermatology, which during my first year of medicine, medical school, I didn't think I wanted to do derm. I wasn't as concerned with my scores, but your scores are very important. And so you really need to have that extra time to study and focus on learning and doing well in school so that you can match into whatever specialty you want. So I think it's worth, you're not making enough money working to justify it. So you're Even be- for somebody frugal like me. Yeah. So you're maybe better off taking a little bit of extra money out. You know, if you think you're going to make $10,000 in a year working part-time through medical school, you might be better off just actually taking that money as a loan. You know, when you look at it over four years, it's $40,000. For me, it was too much of a distraction. Mm-hmm. To And I realized that uh, during the second semester of my first year. So you only worked the first year, basically. Yeah. So. And what? so what was your struggle there? Like, it just did not leave you enough time to study or... Yeah, I felt that I was going to work when my colleagues were studying, and I felt that I needed that time to study as well so that I could compete against them and do just as well score-wise and be at the top of my class if I could. Yeah, just not worth the not worth the month. The sac- what you were sacrificing wasn't worth the income. Right. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, if you're in a position where you you can't work, and you're having to take out a bit of money to, you know, live on during these times. How are you going to make the uh, the most out of every dollar you're going to take from these programs? That's a good question and something I used to talk to my good friends in med school about all the time. Anytime I bought something in medical school, I would look at something that maybe cost $100 and say to myself, but is this is this $100 pair of Lululemon's pants worth hundred and fifty or two hundred to me because that's the price you're actually gonna pay when you pay that loan back that you use to buy those pants. Yeah, that's a good perspective. It's you know, you're not this loan is not free for any you're using a credit card, right? Like it's a credit card with a long repayment term, but it is it's credit. Right. And your interest rate might be lower, but I think that was a good way for me to put perspective on things. That doesn't mean you shouldn't buy those pair of Lululemon pants, but are they worth $150 to you? Mm-hmm. Or were you barely going to buy them at 100 I think that that helped me give perspective to everything that I did. And I lived frugally during that time, and I think some of my friends thought I was crazy because I would say that to them. Is this, I don't know, whatever we were doing worth X? And I think that's really hard for people to look at life that way. But it's worth it to keep your 
finances in order and it'll pay off in the future. Yeah. And you were probably, you know, even today you're very, you li- you're a very budget living sort of person. Like you, mm-hmm. you live by your budget. budget and like everything like that. And that, so that was important to you both. Well, probably your entire, you know, from undergrad onwards, right? Like, yeah, when we were preparing for this podcast, I was trying to think back at when I really started budgeting. Don't think I did it that much in undergrad, just as you don't have as many expenses. You're housing bill usually includes food to a certain degree at least for me it did and so really it was just fun money right that I was making uh, with my side jobs but I definitely think I started a budget I know I did in residency and got very strict about it and maybe had a small budget in med school for me living with my best friend's parents I didn't have to budget as much for food and groceries and housing, utilities, etc. So it was a big learning curve when I went to residency and I got very into budgeting and I still am today. Speaking of budgeting, um, you kind of had a, um, do you want to talk about, did you have credit cards during this time? Did you use them or were you kind of an all cash girl? Yeah, another flashback to my upbringing my mom made me apply for a credit card i think in college because she wanted me to start building my credit coming from a family that's very into low debt and prides themselves on a high credit score she wanted me to start building that credit right away so i have always put everything on a credit card and paid it off in full at the end of every month and so after having one in college I kind of saw the benefit of some credit cards using them for either cash back, which is what I did in college, or you could use them for miles, which is what I did in med school. And I was actually able to pay my tuition on my credit card. So I would have big, you know, balances on my credit card that I paid off with my loans. And then I used all of those miles that I accumulated during medical school to pay for my flights for residency interviews. And you didn't have like some credit card with a huge spending limit. You actually had to have the school break up these into payments, right? So you could kind of do this little trickery and get your miles. Yes, I timed it very well, actually. I would pay for half of my tuition, then pay it off, and then pay for the other half and pay it off again so that I wasn't extending my credit limit. But I did ask for a credit limit extension at one point in med school so that I could get put more money on the card. And then, so, you know, you're kind of, you've got this card and you're racking up all these miles and that ended up saving you a bunch, you know, towards the end of your, you know, your medical education to where you got to fly around and apply and even do a little fun traveling or? A little bit of fun traveling, but mostly used it for residency interviews. And when you are in your third year of medical school, you're getting ready to apply for residency, and I budgeted this as well and took out a extra took out extra money for my fourth year so that I had the money to apply to a competitive specialty and interview all around the country. For dermatology, you're interviewing for both your intern or transitional year as well as your dermatology placement. So I think I had something like 20 interviews to fly to around the country. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
And how much how much did that cost you? How much did you have to take out extra for that? I remember I budgeted around ten thousand dollars extra for residency applications and interviews, ten to fifteen thousand. Okay. And then used every single mile that I had earned for my tuition on that. Well, that's a great little a little trick there to yeah. you know, if you're gonna have to you know, spend a hundred thousand dollars. You might as well get a hundred thousand dollars worth of miles and uh, put those towards your travel and right. everything like that. And you know, I know a lot of people out there are spending a lot more than that, and it may even be harder for them. But they can still, you know, kind of they'll still be able to max out that card, pay it off with their loan, and kind of build miles that way, even right. if they are having to pay the rest of their tuition with the loan. Yep. As long as you're paying it off. Yes. Right? You have to be disciplined enough to pay off the credit card in full. If you can't do that, then it's not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. You're just going to create a nightmare scenario for yourself. Yeah. You don't want credit card debt. That's for sure. You've mentioned a couple of times now the choice to go to a state school versus, you know, and I'm sure this is a position a lot of people applying to medical school are in. You know, they start getting these acceptance letters and it's like, okay, wow. You know, I've got my top choice schools here and everything like that. Or, you know, I've paid the money to see who the most prestigious medical schools are and everything like that. And it's like, okay, well, now how do I choose? What's important? Do I go to this school that costs $100,000 a year? Or do I, you know, stay a little bit closer to home and go to a state school or go to someplace less prestigious? Right. I think that's a extremely hard question to answer. Because, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, but nobody really knows what they're going to go into going into medical school unless maybe you've just had a very broad exposure to different medical specialties and have really found one that you liked in your pre-medical school time. But for me, I had just done some volunteering here and there. And didn't have, I'm the first doctor in my family, didn't have any exposure to medicine. I thought I was going to be a pediatric oncologist. Peds is not super competitive. I ended up becoming a Mohs surgeon, which is one of the most competitive things to get into. So I don't think you truly know what that path is going to look like. You might think you want to be a dermatologist and pay for that really prestigious school and then end up falling in love with family medicine and having something that might not be as difficult to match into. So I I don't think there's a great way to answer that question because you don't truly know the need for prestige moving forward. And did it it honestly make that big a difference for you? Were you able to make up, you know, for the lack of prestige by, you know, when you figured out you wanted to be a dermatologist, you know, you make up for it in other ways by, you know, spending your weekends and stuff, you know, or your vacation times and volunteering and traveling to clinics and stuff like that. I think a lot of it is scores too and putting the time into, at least when I went through, step one was a number score. Right now it's pass fail. So it's really hard for me to speak about how things will change moving forward too, but how well you did on step one and then your GPA were big things that were looked at when I applied and then things that we looked at, you know, I've been on the flip side too, as a resident interviewing applicants that way too. 
And so, yeah, a prestigious school is great, but that's not the end all be all. You're right. It's extracurriculars. What have you done with your time? How, how good are you at taking tests? How smart are you? And how smart are you and how good are you at taking tests essentially? Because not everyone's a good test taker, but that's how you pass your boards and things like that too. Yeah. And like, so at the end of the day, you know, going to a super prestigious school and, you know, taking on all this debt is not going to guarantee that you're going to get the specialty you want right. either by a long shot I don't versus, think, you know, yeah. dedicating, really dedicating yourself to that, you know, and going to a less prestigious school. Yeah. I think if I had to do it over again, I would do it the same as far as med schools, med school and undergrad go. Well, yeah. Cause you got everything you wanted. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. <laughs> It's not all sunshine and rainbows. But there are other factors, too. Like, uh, you know, I know that, you know, just the financial aspect of it wasn't all your considerations. You wanted to be close to family and, you know, everything like that. Yeah, especially I had more choice in an undergraduate school. And when I was applying for undergraduate, I applied very broadly. My dream was always to go to Duke. And my mom was sick at that time, and I got a six-hour radius from home, and so I stayed close to home for that. And I think with that, I learned the value of going to a public school. I had a great time. I didn't – I mean, I think Duke would have been great too, but I, if I would have gone to Duke, I would have undergraduate school debt. My parents – I didn't get a, the same level of scholarship to that. My parents couldn't have paid for the difference in how much that school would have costed. Because I got almost a full ride to OU. So really, it was pretty much paid for. And I had a great experience, lifelong friends, got a wonderful degree, and got into medical school. Um, I didn't apply to a ton of med schools. Every med school you apply to costs money, right? Um, but OU was the only one I got into. So that kind of made that decision for me. So Yeah, and you know, so despite having you know, taken the less prestigious path, perhaps in both cases... Uh, you ended up where you wanted to be and kind of ended up in the career you wanted. And had a lot of fun along the way. Boomer sooner. And didn't take on on a monstrous amount of debt. Nope. So, you know, maybe that's a little lesson there is even starting in your undergrad, like this doesn't, the place you go does not matter as much as maybe some people tell themselves it does. And I think the experience is going to be great regardless. Like the grass is not always greener as it might appear. Might even be even greener. Yeah. <laughs> Just taking the, the cheaper option. Yeah. So you get out of your, you get out of med school. Uh, you've received your residency, your uh, TY. You yep. need to move. You need to set up your own living situation, mm-hmm. everything like that. Yeah. So, you know, at this time, you still have the option to, you know, be taking on debt. What do you do? I did everything as frugally as possible and did not take out any additional debt during residency. So for moving, that meant I had a friend. I didn't travel to Spokane to house hunt, which I know a lot of people do. I just had a friend in town who looked at apartments for me, and I signed my lease sight unseen. Then I packed everything up myself in a moving truck with the help of family friends, and we drove ourselves in a U-Haul across the country to get there. Didn't pay movers for any of that and pretty much lived on Ikea furniture and and lived in a apartment here in Spokane. You've come here to Spokane, uh, you know, and a really easy way 
to save money during this period of your life is roommates, right? And, you know, I understand the hesitation for everybody. It's like you've probably had a lot of roommates at this point in your life. And, you know, you're an adult and you're in your late 20s most likely. And it's like, I don't want roommates anymore. But, you know, there's definite financial advantages to it. How'd you make that decision? For sure. Especially for somebody as frugal as you are. I know, right? You'd think I would have had a roommate all through. I would have thought you'd have like four roommates. Right, yeah. Keep it as low as possible. I actually didn't have a roommate at all during residency or fellowship. For me, the cost, the increased cost to live alone was worth it. And so this goes back to the budget idea and just idea or even what school are you going to go to you really need to sit down and think what is important to me and what's worth it for me to spend more money on for me i like to be i like some alone time i like to be able to study in my house or apartment if i can i didn't rent the most extravagant apartment or house but i did live alone i didn't want to i didn't know anybody personally that i wanted to live with so i didn't really want to take that gamble when you're training so much. And I wanted to, I really like to sleep as most people know too. And so I knew being on nights, I would need to sleep during the day and different things like that, that made living alone and paying more for rent worth it for me. But everybody's going to have their own idea of what, what extra expenses are worth it. Maybe they want to have a bunch of roommates, but then have lots of extra money to travel or do other hobbies that are expensive. But for me, living alone was Uh, worth the extra cost and you know spokane is not well at the time it was not an expensive place to you know do your ty year Mm -hmm. as far as big cities go or anything like that but you know you finish that up and you're going to move to southern california and live in one of the most expensive areas to live in the country like how right was that hard to justify to yourself to be you know so apartment poor or Yeah, and the first dermatology residency I did in Loma Linda, and I lived in the Redlands, which is still an expensive area, but not as quite as expensive as Los Angeles or San Diego. I rented an apartment and then was just very frugal with my other expenses. I found the cheapest grocery store I could buy groceries from. The groceries are the same. They just cost less. I'm not going to a fancy supermarket, you know, Whole Foods for my food. I was going to the local Aldi and buying groceries at half the cost. I started couponing in residency and saved money that way. So there are creative ways you can find to save money. You just have to be very vigilant about it and figure out what what parts of your life you are okay with skimping on. For me, I'm not a big foodie, so I didn't eat out at restaurants very much, and I bought cheap groceries. Other people, that wouldn't be a sacrifice they're willing to make. So you just got to figure out what works for you. And at this time, you know, so you're kind of getting the resident salary, which is not a lot by most means. I mean, in comparison to the average income in America, I mean, you're making good money, but you're also living in a very expensive area of the country and everything like that so how do you do you start like saving at this time are you investing any of this money like how are you doing that well that's a really good question and that's an important one for people going into residency the first thing you need to figure out does your program sponsor a 401k match some do some don't i trained at four different places you know i did my internship somewhere 
I did my dermatology residency somewhere, and then I did two fellowships, so four different practices. And two of them matched a 401k at 3%. And so what I did was I put in up to the match, so 3%, and got that. I think another important point when it comes to the 401k, though, is to make sure that that match is fully vested based on the time you're spending there. So some places might have matched me for that one year that I was there, but it wasn't going to be vested. That match wasn't going to be vested. Yeah, that I would have been spend enough time there. Yeah, a loss. So was this something you actually considered when you were applying for these places, or was it just a happy sort of coincidence that this opportunity came about? I didn't pay too much attention to that when I was matching places. It's definitely information that programs will give you if you ask them about it. I think money's kind of a taboo topic when you're interviewing for residency. And really, the most residencies are going to pay you around the same, and the benefits are going to be pretty similar. And I think the money that you could have put in a 401k is not worth going to a potentially lesser program. Go to the program that fits you and is going to make you the happiest. I wouldn't make that a big piece of the puzzle for where you're going to match but that is a great like little little tip there if your program is going to match and you're going to be able to be vested in the time you're there take advantage of that because yeah. you know most you know doctors are getting a light start on saving for their you know retirement compared to you know people who just enter the workforce you may be you know seven to ten years behind yeah and you're so, still gonna have a late start there's no way you're gonna max out that 401k i mean maybe yeah. if you are married or have some different circumstances but i think in general you're not gonna max out a 401k yeah but even even just getting started is the yeah. key part there because that compound the sooner interest. you can get started that compound interest is gonna take hold and like so even you know it might not feel like much, but if you can sock away, you know, four thousand dollars a year as a resident somewhere, then that's a start. Yeah, and I would say so. You asked the question of if I put money uh, in investment strategies, and like I said, I did the four hundred one k if uh, matched, and I would say that's the first step. And that's if your program matches and you're going to vest, that's where you need to put your money first, because then you're getting free money. That three percent is free, but. The other thing to do is to try and put as much money in a Roth IRA that you can because as soon as you start making a medical salary, you're going to be kind of off the – you'll make too much money to do a traditional Roth IRA. Now, you can always do a backdoor Roth, and that's a whole other subject. But for me, I maxed out my Roth IRA every year starting with my internship. So that was where I put my money, and I put money in – Roth and 401ks over paying on my loans. So I could have put that money towards my loans, but I think it makes more sense for me and for most people to put that money in a retirement account. Because like you said, we're getting a late start and there's the power of compound interest too. Okay. So that's an interesting, so you've, you chose to basically invest and not just invest, but invest heavily to the point where you're able to, you know, kind of max that out at a time where you didn't have a lot of spare income Mm -hmm. and a lot of comfort in your life. And it's like, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, I know it's a very strong sense of probably delayed gratification here. It's like, okay, I'm out of school for the first time in some of people's lives. You're making a bit of money. Right. Uh, It's not bad money. It's not great money, but like, and it's like, okay, well, I can buy something. Yeah. Or yeah, I can spend or something like that. And it's like, oh, well, 
maybe, and this, gosh, this would be hard for me for sure to be like, okay, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep living like I'm a student here for a couple more years and delay this a little bit and choose to invest this money and build something for myself down the road. Yeah, I think it's important to give yourself something. So whatever that might be for you. What was your thing? Hmm. A cat? No. <laughs> I I mean, I think for me it was having the luxury to live by myself. Okay. And I also spent money traveling. I went to see I mean, the things I did in residency travel-wise were very frugal still, visiting friends in other country in other parts of the country. So I was never paying for a hotel and I was using airline miles still. So using my credit card and that money to let me travel because that's what I like to do. And you got to travel a fair bit, like, you know, fairly frequently as long as you're kind of staying in the country and just doing a little weekend trip to go and see your friends. Yeah, if I was in dermatology, we had most weekends off if we weren't on call. So if I wasn't on call, I was most of the time traveling, either driving somewhere in California or flying somewhere to see somebody or to a conference. Okay, so at this point, you're through your residency and you're applying to fellowships. First, let's talk about... um, Another application cycle, more money. (laughs) Another application cycle, more travel, more interviews, everything Mm -hmm. like that. Another opportunity to take on debt. Um, But for the layperson like me, like, are you... You're going to get these fellowships. Are you expecting to make more money during this time? Residency and fellowship as a whole is a graduated income system. And so the the amount that anybody makes in any position is public knowledge and can be found by Googling it on the website. But it's all based on your PGY or post-grad year status. So if you stayed in the same program for your full six years or five years, you would gradually make more money each year. For me, this is a good question actually, it's very interesting. I made more money as an intern just because it was on a different pay scale than I did my PGY2 or first year of Durham residency because I was went to a different university where the pay was a little different. Wasn't that much less, maybe like $2,000 a year, but most people will make more every post-grad year. And when I went from residency to fellowship, again, I changed institutions. And so the difference in pay wasn't as much as it would have been if I would have stayed at the same institution, just because everybody kind of has a different level. But they're all around the same amount across the country, plus or minus $5,000 probably per year. Okay. So you're not looking at like, okay, well, you know, now I'm a fellow. I'm not, you're not making buku bucks still, you know, Mm -hmm. everything like that. And you continue. So you have to move, you're moving to a more expensive area of the country, even, you know, in the, what is it? The Santa Barbara area. San Diego. San Diego. Okay. Yeah. So you're moving to San Diego. You know, what was, what was rent like there? Rent was crazy there and it was really hard. I still wanted to be this frugal person But I also knew I was going to be working long hours. And in my fellowship, you work in three different locations within Santa Barbara and all on the north side of Santa Barbara. So North County, as it's called. And you're in between La Jolla, Carmel Valley, and Rancho Bernardo. And so I didn't want to have to make a commute and be sitting in traffic for a long time. So I wanted to find an apartment or a house in that area that which is an expensive area of san diego that 
would save me from the commute. So I actually applied for a few apartments and the apartment hunt there is so crazy that I didn't get the first two places I applied for because I have a cat. (laughs) (laughs) And so I ended up renting a very expensive apartment, (laughs) but that was my indulgence for that year. I rented an apartment steps from the beach, essentially from Torrey Pines area, hiking area and the bluffs. And so that was truly my indulgence for that year. Yes, I was house poor, but I had a lot of beauty and fun and things that I enjoy at my footsteps. But I didn't travel at all that year. I got lucky and it was COVID too, but I didn't travel and I planned to moonlight during my fellowship in order to make more money. Yeah, you may not have been so lucky because you had COVID and it kind of killed your your, uh, moonlighting plans, right? It did. So I actually developed my budget for fellowship year with the thought of moonlighting once or twice a month on a Saturday, which was a setup part of my program. It's kind of already incorporated. And that is the income that I used to determine that I could afford this very expensive apartment. But then COVID ended up shutting all that down. So I did did get put kind of in a tight spot in fellowship as far as finances go and being very, very house poor. And you had to, you know, you kind of had to stick that out because there was really no option. You really couldn't even go somewhere as far as everything was locked down. And Mm -hmm. yeah, there was no no other opportunities. You just kind of had to suffer through that one, right? Yep. And did you have savings that you had to dip in at that time to kind of make things work? Or were you able to just do it on your monthly? I did definitely have to dip into savings, but didn't really have much savings. I didn't have an emergency fund at that point, I think in residency it's so hard to save extra money my savings account was very minimal if anything i ended up having to move in the midst of covid and had some issues uh, starting my job here in spokane when i moved and so i actually did have to borrow some money from some family friends so i'm lucky in that way too that um, i had people who were willing to help me out and get me through that really hard time of covid and finances. Yeah, I'm sure that must not have been easy to have to, you know, go to people and ask for help and be like, I. And actually, I didn't even ask for help. So I, I have amazing friends, and one of my friends who knows me very well, I kind of told her about the situation I was in, and she talked to her parents who who were willing to give me money to help me during my hard situation because they knew how hard they've known me for a long time. And knew how hard I'd worked to budget and she's seen me be the frugalest person ever. And the fact that I wasn't able to make ends meet despite all of that, I think she saw that and her parents saw that too and were willing to give me a little boost. Yeah. And so they loaned you a little bit of money and you were able to kind of hold it together up here while you waited for your position to open up and then you're to work, right? Well, no, I did another fellowship because I'm a glutton for punishment, as I like to say, and did part-time attending two days a week of Mo's surgery and three days a week of fellowship. So was making more than your classic fellow, but not making... Full physician no, salary. No, not, not close to that. So maybe like a quarter of what a regular dermatologist would make. 
And so it was more money than I'd ever seen before and definitely helped me do things like build an emergency fund and get back on my feet after all of that. But it wasn't quite what people have when they're first start their job. So maybe that's a good thing too. I had a slow transition into making more money. Yeah. And, and so another exercise in self-restraint, right? Like, yeah. So it's like, <laughs> I dig it. I'm finally, uh, I'm not quite here yet. And yeah. It's like, okay, you're, you're, you're making good money and everything like that, but there's also, you know, okay, continue to, you know, now it's time to start thinking about oh, these student debts and mm-hmm. everything and moving the, the cost of moving, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So it's all, it's, it seems like it's almost a constant like delay and it's like, when is it, when's it finally come? And maybe it never really comes. And I think, I mean, that's a huge comment that comes up in finance groups and fire groups, you know, live like a resident until essentially you can retire. Right. Um, especially for people who are into fire, um, What's fire? financial independence, retire early. Okay. That's another extreme way, I think, of living. And I think for me, I've kind of taken small indulgences as I started my career. So what other resources uh, could people who are interested in kind of saving money look at? Right. That's a good question. There are so many Facebook groups, way more than there were when I was a resident as well, where they talk about these you know, how to save money in med school and residency. And I'm sure everybody has their own little tips and tricks. These are just mine. And then the White Coat Investor is a good resource. They ha- He made a book and there's a blog as well. And there's also a Facebook group for that too. And then there's tons of financial readings you can do if you find this fun and interesting to help kind of increase your knowledge in that sphere, which I'm just kind of starting to do. I think it's real hard in residency fellowship med school you're focusing on medicine and i think that's what you should be doing is focusing on medicine and uh you can do the other stuff once you're out and kind of have a good grasp on medicine and that's that part of your life well uh thank you everyone for listening in this was kind of an interesting discussion if you have questions you know you know where to find uh, dr gogger at this point yeah let me know if you have any comments any things that you did to save money or any questions you might have. Yeah, uh, there's certainly going to be uh, future episodes about finance. Uh, we're going to kind of talk about, okay, now that uh, you know, managing your income post all of this right. is going to be its own separate thing. And we hope at one point to actually come on and talk with a finance professional or talk with other physicians about you know what they're, how they dig it. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe talk to somebody about uh, how hard it is post having, you know, having a high debt right. load or everything like that and the struggles there. Because, uh, you know, it sounds like a lot of money, certainly to somebody like me to be like, oh, wow, you know, at this point, like she's got $100,000 in student debt. But like, for a lot of physicians, that's a fraction of what they they leave with, right? And that's like, nothing. People that's gawk at my amount usually. Yeah. In a good way. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, okay, well, this is, you know, those years of delayed gratification and frugalness and everything like that have, you know, enabled you to do other things at this point in your life where, you know, you're still not quite, you know, you're just finally entering your career. And it's like, okay, well... I can own a house now, right? And, right. you know, I don't have a huge debt-to-income 
ratio with these student loans, even, you know, in forbearance as they have been for everybody since COVID started. Right. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's truly a, uh, a great, it's your sacrifice is being honored at this point. Yeah. And I'm just getting started, just getting my feet wet. And so I'm excited for us to talk about that in the future too, how we manage it moving forward as far as now that I'm making, you know, true salary for an attending and how to kind of deal with that and how to make the most of that money. I'm still learning too. So, but it'll be fun to talk about. Well, everybody, thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and have a wonderful (laughs) day.